Alright, take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to start out this morning by just uh, saying thank you to our church family. Uh, many of you know me and my wife just went through a, a little bit of a difficult time. We lost our daughter um, and um, uh, it, was, it was difficult, but you'd be surprised at just how much the comfort of the Lord helps in a situation like that. Um, so we appreciate the cards. We appreciate the thoughts, and we especially appreciate the prayers. Um, we're doing just fine. We're trusting in the Lord. Uh, I've told everybody that's asked me, we trusted in the Lord at the very beginning. Many of you may not know, but we, we really don't have a very high chance of getting pregnant anyway. So it was a miracle that we were able to have her for as long as we had her. And I'm just so thankful that uh, now she gets to experience the love of the Father like I will never, ever be able to experience it until I get to heaven. So... I'm so excited for that, but thank you all for praying for us. We really do appreciate it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, we'll start verse 11. The Bible says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And to be completely honest with you, sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, when something huge hits me, you know, like one of those power verses that you learned in Sunday school, When one of those verses hits you, I just usually tune out the next part. You know, the Bible's ripping you. Come out from among them, be ye separate. And then I just almost read over the next part because I'm still thinking about the last part. But right here in verse 18, this is a wonderful promise of God. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful for Your love, and I'm so thankful for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, no doubt it's touched every heart in this room. No doubt we've all had experiences with You. Lord, You're so much better to us than we could ever be to You, but Lord, we thank You for that. Now this morning as we gather around Your Word, I pray that it would be powerful. I pray that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would reach out. And Lord, I pray that it would strike the hearts of the hearers in the room this morning. Lord, I pray that your power would be all over this service. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct me. It's in your Son's name I do pray. Amen. Now, I'm thankful for the raising and the upbringing that I had. Uh, A lot of people don't have great homes. I had a tremendous home. But to be completely honest with you, a lot of people think I'm weird. A lot of people think I'm screwed up. And the fact of the matter is, I was raised by this brother back here. So, yeah, I am. (laughs) There was times in my child rearing where I just thought everything was normal. But looking back on it, no child should ever have to go through what I went through. 
I remember one time, now y'all know that we hunt and you know that I shoot guns and all that. Well, you had to have a first time for that. And I did. And it was, I was probably, when I think back, I think I was four years old. So I still had afterbirth hanging off of me. I was super young. And we're at my granny B's house in Tennessee. My dad carried his coon hunting pistol, which is a little 22. Uh, It's a little handgun. And he, at four years old, thought it was a good idea for me to learn how to shoot. And I, I appreciate that because now I can outshoot him any day of the week because I started so young. Don't ask him, though, because he will not say that. But I remember in Tennessee, he set this little plastic bucket out there. And we walked only about 10 steps away from the bucket. And he said, OK, here's how you load the gun. Here's how you hold the gun. And then make sure the safety's off and then just pull the trigger. So he's standing directly behind me, and it is a, it's an automatic pistol, semi-automatic pistol. So when you shoot and you pull the trigger one time, it automatically ejects the shell and puts another one in. How it does this is there's a little slide on the top, and when you pull the trigger, it shoots back, ejects the shell, and comes back forward to reload the weapon. And so I'm sitting there, I'm all excited, first time I'm ever going to get to shoot a gun, really excited about this moment. And so I take this gun and I'm going to aim it right, you know. So what's better, having it closer to your eye or farther away from your eye? And so I decide to put the gun right here. And my dad, he's like, had a boy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This will be a good learning experience for the young man, you know. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm just like this and I'm a good shot. I'm steady. I know how to hold the crosshairs right on the bucket. It's a large bucket. We're only 10 steps away and... And so I'm ready, I'm, and I get ready, and I pull that trigger, and that slide comes back and hits me right in the face. This happens at a pretty rapid pace of speed, and so uh, right on the back of it is where you have your back sight, and it's shaped, you know, like a little X, basically, and that thing hit me, and it cut me right between the eyes. I still have the shape of an X in my face today. And now I'm screaming bloody murder. I am in so much pain. I feel like Mike Tyson just punched me in the face, but it with a metal glove and it, it I, oh, it's hurting so bad. I drop the gun. I'm crying. I'm like, I want to go to mama. You're the devil. You know, I'm in ridiculous amounts of pain. And this is what my dad says. Quit crying and get back over here and shoot this bucket. I missed the bucket, apparently. I did not know. I was too busy thriving in pain. <laughs> so you might think I had it easy. I had to grow, with, grow up with that. I remember another time I was in a junior high basketball game. A junior high basketball game. Now, I don't know if you notice, if you know much about junior high basketball, but the level of competition is not very high. And other than the sheer fact of we won the game, it really doesn't matter if you win the game because you're in junior high. There's no victory trophies. There's no, you know, we got a state title. No, you're in junior high. You're still just trying to get the zits off your face. All right. And so we're playing this game. And apparently I did not have a very good first half of basketball. And I, I, I didn't think it was that bad, but he apparently my dad did. And he said, Andrew, what are you doing? Now we're walking into the locker room at halftime and I go, dad, I'm not perfect. And basically 
Hurricane Jean showed up on the Doppler. (laughs) Alphabetically, it did not work with the naming, but it was a hurricane nonetheless. You could see him get furious, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And he gets up. Now, we're all going into the locker room. He gets up, takes me by the arm, and takes me into a separate room. Next door to where my teammates are. This wall used to be, it used to be one room. So they put up a paper thin wall to separate them. And now my teammates get to hear me as I'm being beat by my father. You don't talk back to me. Oh, it hurts so bad. Stop it, stop it. Oh, no. Well, look guys, I'm, I'm cool. I I'm, didn't even hurt. You know, yeah. I remember that. Oh man, I had to grow up with that, man. It was rough at times. But I'm thankful for those times in my life. He was teaching me lessons. He was, he was encouraging me. Even when I missed that bucket, you know what he said? You get back over and you hit the mark. You, you start it, you finish it. And so, yeah, I had to go through a little pain. It was funny, though. A few months after that, I went to this. I was just starting school. And so I went to this. Whether you need to, it's like a test where you need to go into pre-K or, or you go straight into kindergarten. And the teacher takes you away from your parents. And she asked me what had happened right there. And I said, my dad shot me. (laughs) At the time, I did not fully understand, but I'm thankful for those lessons. And you know what? He can be difficult at times. You know what? It's really hard telling this 73-year-old man he doesn't need to plow 25 acres. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I got a witness up there in the balcony. You know what I mean? My dad is a little hard-headed at times. Sure, there's times when it's rough being around him. But ultimately, he wants what's best for me at all times. I look back on my childhood and I just think, man, I'm glad I had a dad that was there for me. I'm glad I had a dad that wanted to spend time with me, that wanted to take me golfing and hunting and fishing and spend time with me. I'm thankful for that. You know what? Paul here is speaking to the church at Corinth as his own children. He's speaking to them and and you can feel the intensity and the emotion in his voice as he's saying, our heart is enlarged towards you. Be ye enlarged as well. We want you to be enlarged. You know what? There's times when probably his preaching is a little callous. There's probably times when you don't like what he's saying. But ultimately, he wants the best for you. Spiritually, this pastor is a man of God that wants you to keep on keeping on every day of your Christian life. I want to look today at three desires of the pastor for his congregation. First of all, if we look, I believe that your pastor wants you to be enlarged in life. Enlarged in life. And you see that in verse 11. Paul is just just sharing his love and his emotion. He says, Oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. He goes on to just tell them how they can be enlarged as well. Now, I'm thankful today that the Christian life is one of joy. I'm thankful today that the Christian life is never sorrowful. It is always happiness. You know why? Because God's on your side. I'm thankful that the Bible says in John chapter 10, I came to give them life more abundantly. 
I'm thankful that we can have abundant life. You know, there's a lot of people outside these doors that do not have abundant life. In fact, they have miserable lives. We're so fortunate to have God. And you know what? You can live an enlarged life. And that's what this man wants for you. Your pastor wants you to be happy. He wants you to be excited about the things of God. He evaluates his congregation, and I'm afraid many times his members are not happy. Many times his members aren't trusting in God. Many times he has to look at the broken hearts of a wife as her husband just left her. It's so sorrowful to me that we could think the Christian life is anything but joyful and happy. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I've gone through all this. And if you read right here in verse 10, I believe you can get an idea of what he's saying. He says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This is what I've gone through. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. He says, life's not always easy, but I always feel great about it. It's enlarged. I'm living a high life. And I believe that's what your pastor wants for you. If we're going to live an enlarged life, why are so many Christians sorrowful? Why are so many Christians sad all the time? Why do they not have the joy of the Father? I believe it's for two reasons. First of all, sometimes we get selfish desires. Selfish desires. And that's what he says in verse 11 and 12. He says, our heart is enlarged. We're excited about the things of God. We love you. We want you to be happy in God. You're not straightened in us, but you're straightened in your own bowels. You're confined to your own priorities. You're not rejoicing in the things of the Lord because you don't care about the things of the Lord. You're more concerned about yourself. I believe this, and I don't think this is some supernatural, divine statement, but I have said this, that every sin is a direct result of selfishness. Every sin that I've ever committed in my life has been for personal gain. Any time that I ever cheated on a test, it was so I didn't have to study. Yeah, the preacher cheated once or twice. I'm sorry to let y'all know. <laughs> Occasionally. You know what? Every time that I, I, I ever lied to my parents, it was always for personal gain. Any time I ever embellished a story to my friends to sound cool, it was for personal gain. Every sin is a direct result of selfishness. And the reason that so many Christians are sad, they're selfish. These are the Christians that say, well, I went to church on Sunday morning. Why should I have to go Sunday night and Wednesday night? It's my time. Selfish. These are the Christians that have trouble giving 10%. This is my money. I work hard all week long. You don't know how far this will go in a direct TV payment or an insurance. Selfish. It's not your money at all. Amen. The Lord gave it to you and the Lord can take it away. The Lord only asked for 10%. You have trouble with that? I wonder why you're not happy. You're selfish. You see, I'm just trying to say this morning, as your pastor sits up here and preaches week in and week out, he wants you to live a happy life, but he knows that when you are the priority in your life, you will never be happy. Yeah. Amen. 
The only way a Christian is happy is when he elevates uh, God in his own life and just says, Lord, you're everything to me and I'm nothing. Lord, you're all in all and I am nothing. That's when you'll be happy. Paul says you have to remove selfish priorities if you're going to experience joyful uh, Christian life and, and have an enlarged life. You have to remove selfish priorities. Secondly, I believe this, that we not only have to remove selfish desires, but we have to remove stubborn dissension. Stubborn dissension. And you see that here in verse 12 and 13. He says, you're not straightened in us, but you're straightened in your own, uh, own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Now Paul started the church at Corinth on his second missionary journey. He founded the church. It was him. It was his effort. It was his work with the help of some co-laborers. He was the one that brought these people up and allowed them to grow in the, in the nurturing admonition of the Lord. It was his work. And now as he's removed himself from it, you know what these people have done? They've started questioning him and his apostleship. They said, now, Brother Paul, how many years did you go to seminary? Forty, forty, forty. Uh, they say, hey, brother, brother Paul, we're just not quite sure you, you didn't witness the resurrection. And, and Paul, we're just not quite sure. Uh, we know about Peter, but we're not sure about you, Paul. Paul says, you're my children. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be saved. I was the witness that came to you and opened my heart to you and opened the word of God to you and revealed no longer did you have to uh, keep the Mosaic law, but that it was only through faith in Jesus Christ. It was me that did that. I speak unto you as my children. And now they're questioning him and they're spurning him. Paul writes these letters trying to get them to uh, be better Christians. He tells them where they're in error and he's trying to fix those errors. And yet these people are actually glorying in the Judaizers that have now entered the congregation. Now they're saying, oh, Brother Paul, we have this great preacher. Oh, his name is Brother blah, 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 blah. He's a great man of God. But he wasn't straight doctrinally. And now they're glorying in these men. And now they're just giving the Heisman to Brother Paul because he's old fashioned. He's square. This new guy can really rip the pages out of the Bible when he preaches. And I'm afraid so often we come to church willing to leave the exact same. And it really, really does not matter how many hours he spends in preparation to preach. And it really, really doesn't matter what illustrations he uses or uh, how he approaches the Word of God, or, or how, how much he's prayed, it really doesn't matter because I'm just going to leave the same way anyway. Paul wrote these letters and he said, I want you to change, but you're too stubborn. You're not even listening to me anymore. Do you listen to the preaching of God's Word in this church? When's the last time you made a major change in your life? And you knew it was a direct result of the preaching of God's Word. All it is is saying, "Ah, 
you're preaching. It's, it's a little old-fashioned. It's, it's a little square. Sometimes you, you, you just rub me the wrong way, and I'm not going to change. That's exactly what was happening at Corinth. Paul says, you're my spiritual children. I just want to let you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that man, physically and spiritually. If it wasn't for his mentorship in my life, hey, look, I had every opportunity to go to secular colleges. I had every opportunity to do drugs and alcohol. I had all those opportunities like every other person did. But because of that man's mentorship in my life, I did not. And I am his son, but I know for a fact many of you have the same testimony. I know many of you would not be near what you are as a Christian if it were not for him. And we joined years and years ago because his preaching was so powerful. It impacted me and it changed our lives. And, and now it's just a little bit old. Paul says, I speak unto you as my children. I want you to be enlarged as well. The Bible says in James 1, 22 through 24, and Brother Joe referenced it in his prayer this morning. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. What the Bible says is, when you come to church and you hear the Word of God preached, you hear it lifted up and magnified the Lord Jesus Christ, and now you're sitting there evaluating yourself, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you don't move, you're like a person that gets up in the morning with bad head and leaves their house with bad head. It says you look in the face of Scripture. You look in the face of the perfect, sinless Son of God, you compare yourself Yeah, I'm all right. I'm sorry every time that book's opened. Every time Jesus Christ is lifted up and magnified. Every time God is mentioned as my tender loving father. I want to hit my knees. I I need to get things right. Because I don't want to be just a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. When I get up in the morning, sometimes I look pretty rough. I got the sleep and I'm a drooler. My pillow, ew, come on, nobody's perfect. Did y'all get that? Yeah, yeah. I like that. You're pretty quick on that. That's pretty good. You know, I get up in the mornings and sometimes my breath is raunchy. Me and my wife don't give wake up sugar because her breath is raunchy too. In the mornings, I'm not the best dude. Uh, once I'm out of bed, I'm good. I start singing. I'm all happy. But once I'm in bed, it's like, you know, but every morning I get up and now it does not take long to prepare this person for the day. Pretty much. I take the shower. I take my towel and one down sides and my hair's good. Now I brush my teeth and, and uh, I go on my way. But what the Bible's saying is, if you come to church and you hear the Word of God, and it's not, you you hear it telling you to do something, and you never react upon it, you're like a man that gets up in the morning and doesn't care about your appearance. 
I, I, I care about my appearance before God. And I want to be as clean as I can, and I want to be as good as I can for Him each and every day. And so when I come to church, guess what? Sometimes I need my face ripped off. Sometimes I need to be told how wicked I was all week long. Sometimes I just need to tell, be told that God loves me. But whatever it is, I want to be a doer of the Word. And I want to be able to sit out in this congregation and listen to a man that has walked with God for 47 years now. I, I want to be able to change a little bit each and every time I come to church. If we're, gonna, if we're going to be enlarged in life, we have to remove selfishness. We need to listen to God's Word tell us where we're wrong. We need to listen to God's Word tell us where we need to fix. Not only does He want you to be enlarged in life, but secondly, He wants you to exalt the Lord. In verse 15 and 16, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture here. The Bible says, And one concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? It's saying, in your own personal life, I want you to be separate. I want you to be special unto God. In fact, in verse 14, I love how obedience is assumed. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? It's saying, you ought to be righteous, so you have no desire to be with unrighteousness. I like how the obedience is assumed there. He's not saying... I'm afraid that if he were writing some of the churches today, he would actually have to say, for what fellowship hath kind of righteousness sometimes have to do with unrighteousness all the time? You see, we just aren't living lives of obedience to God. And you say, oh, Brother Andrew, that's talking about joining in a permanent relationship with somebody. That's talking about marriage or some type of business practice. No, what he's saying is, if you're going to live right, you got to live right. You're going to live righteously. If you're going to be the temple of God, don't, don't fellowship with darkness. Don't fellowship with wickedness. The application is, you ought to obey God. It's assumed here. We exalt Him by our, our obedience. I like how in Psalm 51, when David has just confessed his sin with Bathsheba, now he's praying his prayer of repentance. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, there is an entire movement of Christianity, and I have seen it personally firsthand, that gathers down at the bottom of some stage and lifts their hands and prays to God and just admires Him and worships Him. And that's fine, but the sacrifices of God are a brokenness, a pouring out, a realization of exactly who we are in the light of exactly who He is. It's perfection versus sin. It is righteousness versus versus unrighteousness. What worship is, what sacrifice is in the current day of Christianity, it is saying, God, I am unworthy. See, your pastor wants you to obey God. That's how you exalt God in your day-to-day life. You don't exalt Him through telling people and then going out and sinning. That doesn't exalt Him at all. You don't exalt Him by doing what everybody else does and then reading your Bible in the morning before you start work. No, that doesn't exalt Him. 
Exalting Him is strict obedience to what He has in your life. The will of God for your life. Partaking in daily, daily Bible reading and daily prayer. And occasionally, you know what? Fasting. It's such a foreign concept to modern Christianity. You know what fasting is? It's saying, I put every fleshly desire on hold for a spiritual gain. Occasionally we just need to get close to God and we just ought to say, Lord, whatever you want for me, I'm going to obey you all the way. John 14, 15, I remember... I was at Bible college and we had a dorm devotion type thing. And this specific dorm devotion was, they just had a lot of the preacher boys coming up and they were all preaching. And I remember one guy would get up there and he would say, take your Bibles to Exodus 20. You know, and he'd start preaching about the children of Israel and their rebellion. And I remember another guy would get up there and he'd preach the gospel and he'd preach the cross. And I remember one guy, a little bit of a... Uh, a withdrawn person, not a lot of charismatic personality to him. And he got up there and he just said, take your Bibles to John 14, 15. And we took it there and he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Shut his Bible and walked away. Never preached a word. And the room was silent. Didn't have beautiful illustrations. He didn't make us laugh one time. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know how we exalt the Lord? Obedience. What your pastor wants for you is for you to value God's will in your life so much that fleshly desires, worldly gain, none of that's important. God's will is the only thing calling you and spurning you on to grow. That's what he wants, obedience. But secondly, we exalt him by ownership. And that's in verse 15. In verse 15, my Bible changed. Hold on, here we go. Verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I'm grateful that one night when I bowed my head and I asked the Lord into my heart that He came in and He lives inside of me. And I'm glad that even though I was very young at the time and I thought that Jesus literally came and abode inside of my heart. I literally thought that. I'm thankful that He did. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit of God came and He sealed me until the day of redemption. I'm thankful that no matter what I do, no matter how backslidden I get, God will always be with me. I'm thankful for that. But see, it's a lot farther than just salvation. It's sanctification. It's a lot more than just being indwelled. It's being filled. You see... God doesn't want you to just get the get out of hell free card. He wants you to become something more, more fantastic than you could have ever seen yourself as. He wants you to be extravagant. My dad and I were talking this morning. We have the power of God at our fingertips and so often we neglect it. God wants you to be marvelous. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians to this exact same church, he says... What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, 
which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul says, did you forget what I wrote you last time? I wrote you and told you that once you're saved, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the temple of God. It's a good reason not to drink. Because the priests in the temple could not drink. So if your body is the temple of God, what are you? You are the overseer of the temple of God. You're the priest of the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body. It's a very good reason not to fulfill in fleshly lusts and desires. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. As I said earlier, every sin I've ever committed was for personal gain. I, I, I don't... I shouldn't expect personal gain while I'm on this earth. Somebody asked me, how did you go through this hard time with, with your daughter and all? You know what? The day I surrendered to be a preacher, the day I got saved, I, I, I forsook comfort. Amen. Amen. I, I, did, I didn't say, God, now, I'll only serve you as long as the fire's not hot. And no, I said, God, I will give you everything to preach your word. Amen. And so as I stand before you today... Comfort is not high on my priority list. If God wants to turn the fire hotter, guess what He should do? If God wants to put me through more pain and suffering, guess what He should do? Because it's not my gain that I'm worried about. It is only His glory and that He would receive it from my life. You see, Christians don't really understand the thought of possession I remember the other day I had my golf club stolen and it's one of the worst feelings in the entire world when something that you own is taken from you. I came out and I was actually preaching that morning at church. I came out and I looked in the bed of my pickup where I had ignorantly left my golf clubs, assuming they would be there, and they were not. As I added it up, it was about twenty-three dollars to $2,500 worth of golf equipment in my bag. It was a terrible feeling because... I had earned all that. I had paid for all that. It was all mine. I had collected it over time. I didn't spend $2,500 at one time. I worked at a golf store. I would find good deals here. I would find good deals there. I would never pay more than I ought to. And so I had the exact set of clubs I wanted, and one day it was gone. It's the worst feeling in the world. How do you think God feels when we take this body back from Him? He gave the most precious thing He had for you. When He was writing the check, it wasn't written with zeros, it was written with drops of blood. And He ransomed you, and He called you, and He wants to own you. Any time that you think that you, you deserve something, we deserve nothing. God owns us. God can do whatever He wants to us. This pastor up here wants you to be owned by God. He wants your priorities to be His priorities. He wants you to only exalt Him with your life. Not only does He want you to exalt the Lord, but finally, He wants you to experience the love. In verse 18, He wants you to experience the love. 
The Bible says, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand why God loves me. I am not a good person. And He loves me anyway. I failed Him time and time again, and He loved me through it. And you know what? He's never, ever forsaken me. And everything that He's ever promised me, guess what? He's always done. God loves me. Every week this man comes up here and he preaches his heart out. And he wants you to be as good of a Christian as you can be. Not just so you can brag about how good of a Christian, how many sins you're getting over. He wants you to experience a love like no human ever gets to experience. He wants you to feel what he feels. Being a preacher is a pretty cool job. Honestly, many of you probably think it's a terrible job. He gets paid to study his Bible. He gets paid to walk with God. He gets paid to be close to Him and bring messages from Him. He is the messenger of God. And He gets paid to do it. He comes up here every week and He says, I walked with God all week long. I felt His tender embrace each and every day. I felt the love ooze out as I read His Word. And I I, I felt Him... And I want you to feel Him as well. He wants you to experience it personally. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, The very hairs of our head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I'm a hunter as, as much as a hunter can be. I'm a hunter. Yesterday we were on visitation. And my wife was driving and we were directly behind a car and the car passed and I saw this little bitty squirrel. And this little bitty squirrel, now Garrett was with me, Jocelyn was with me, you can ask him if this is not exactly true. The squirrel began to run across the road and if he continued on that line, he was going to get killed by my wife's car. And I sat there and I go, no, 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 no. I kill animals, and I enjoy the hunt of killing those animals. But one thing I do not like doing is killing a helpless little creature for no reason. And he was going to sit there and rot on the road, and people were going to have to look at his guts, and it was going to be all nasty. And I don't like it, like, I don't like when people try hitting cats or dogs. That's not me. I, I try avoiding skunks. I avoid armadillos. Anything that walks across, like the little birds, the little birds that come flying across and you catch them in your grill, I like start crying when that happens. It it tears me up because, you know, I've never met that squirrel, but I know he didn't want to die by car. (laughs) You know, and and I sat there yesterday and that little bitty squirrel ran across the road and I was like, no, 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 honey, honey, And right at the last second, he turned around and went across the road. And if it had not been for my beckoning, he probably would have died that day. You know? What I'm saying is, I I do care for small animals. I, I do not kill things for no reason at all. That is not me. I do not like it when people do that. But the fact of the matter is, God says, you're special to me. 
Now, I created the sparrows, but you are much more special to me than many sparrows. I got news for you. God not only knows the number of hairs on your head, this is special to me. He knows my name. He knows me. Who am I to God? Who am I that God should think anything of me? I am but a speck in His majestic creation. I'm not even famous in this world. Why would I be famous to God? He knows me. He cares about me. And He cares about you as well. I read yesterday in John 17 how Jesus, knowing knowing He's about to die, He says, Lord, You gave them to Me, and You gave Me to them. Jesus knew that He had been given to us just to show how special we were to God. Guess what? I approached God in prayer this morning and last night, and both times He heard me. That day on the cross as Jesus died and the temple veil was rent in two, just to signify no longer did we have to go to God through a priest. He's ours to to take advantage of. He is ours to enjoy. He is ours to love. God knows who you are. God cares about you. And each week the man of God stands up here and he says, I want you to experience the love like I've experienced it. I want you to feel Him in the cleft of the rock. I want you to feel His mighty hand in your valley and in your trial. I want you, when there's no way out, to know that God knows how you're going to escape. He comes up here and He beckons each and every week. I want you to experience God's love in your life. And you can. Not only does He want you to experience it personally... He wants you to experience it passionately. Passionately. Ephesians 3 and 17 through 19 says, The Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Not only does God love you and me, He loves us a lot. He loves us a lot. Now, I, I went to a lot of, you know, like, uh, when people would have a baby, I would go to, you know, see them in the hospital and see their baby. And most generally, I was like, oh, that's a cute baby. Not really. You know, I, and I would do that occasionally. And I, I had seen, you know, I had been at my brother's um, when he had Jonathan. Uh, I think I was at college for Abby. But I, I've been around some people when they uh, had children. But I remember going up to the hospital when Luke and Sarah had their baby. And I remember leaving that hospital and I was just in awe. Luke and Sarah are my friends and and. 
It was just a special time. I was able to look at that baby and see how, how much it meant to them. And I was thankful for that. And I told Amy, I've never felt this way about any other child in my entire life. It just was special. And then not much longer after that, my sister had been. And I remember sitting up at the hospital during the night. I was supposed to go bow fishing that night and I had to cancel because Ben was born. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. I was so angry. I was like, can we just pause this thing and I'll come back in the morning? But I remember sitting there waiting on the text messages. I remember sitting there waiting on the opportunity to go in. And, you know, I've seen a lot of babies born, but no baby has ever impacted me like Ben that day. I mean, it was in the NICU. Uh, which is the uh, neonatal ICU. He was so tiny. I mean, most of you can't really even comprehend. I couldn't comprehend how small this child was. I mean, you could just basically hold him in one hand. It was the craziest thing. And he's sitting there with tubes and, and everything inside of him. He's just a little baby and he had an IV in his face. And I just sat there hurting for him, rejoicing that he was born, just... He's such a miracle. I was so excited. I love that baby a lot. But the love that I felt for Ben and the love that I felt for my own daughter can never even come close to what God feels for you. It is so special. And so often we take it for granted that God of the universe cares about you. But man, He cares about you a lot. And He really does love you a lot. And our relationship doesn't have to be an awkward one. Our relationship doesn't have to be one where we go to Him and we can't really find the words to say. Our relationship is one of tender, loving affection. And we can go to Him and say whatever we want. And we can rest in Him. And sometimes we might not fully agree with Him, but He cares about us. He loves us past anything we've ever done. And that makes me have to say this. If you've never experienced His love, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you sit under the sound of my voice and you've never felt the tender affection of the loving Father, do it today. Because it's more special than any father-mother love that you have ever experienced. It's more special than any uh, care that you've ever had for a partner. No, I'm sorry. Every affection that we have falls short of what God feels for us. It is so deep. It is so wide. It is so high. He loves you so much. Experience it. If you've never been saved, come and experience the love of the Father. Not many years ago, uh, we kind of tried doing the cowboy thing. We bought spurs, we bought a trailer, we bought cowboy hats. And we were going to be cowboys. And I remember we started off in play days where we would just go and spend all day at this super hot burning building. And we would stay till three in the morning to goat wrap a cat, a goat. You know, we'd go flip the goat and wrap his feet up. He's tied to a stake, so it really wasn't as difficult as you might think. So... No, we, we tried doing the cowboy thing and we went on and, you know, we have the horses and we went on to doing uh, like team pinnings 
But one thing we always really enjoyed going to was the ranch rodeo up at Will Rogers Coliseum. We enjoyed it. It was basically teams of ranch hands. So like the King Ranch, they would send a team of four of their ranch hands and they would come down and they would compete against other ranch hands and other teams. And it was really cool. I think we went to it two or three years and I remember going and we got into the rodeo thing. We just enjoyed it all. Well, one thing I never understood, though, was when the Bucking Bronc event happens. I mean, what is the purpose of riding a Bucking Bronc? Is it not to break that bronc? Correct? I mean, don't you ride that animal so that he bucks no more? Now, I've never seen a Bucking Bronc stop bucking by the time the cowboys are off of him. Have y'all? No, even when the cowboys make their eight seconds, they get off and the buck's still bronking. And they're going to use him next week in a rodeo at some other Odessa, Texas rodeo. And they're going to use that exact same bronc because he's still bucking, right? I never understood. The whole idea of the event is ride this animal to the point of no more bucking and yet they continuously buck. And yet, I don't quite think that's too different from church members. Each week, the man of God stands up here and preaches against sin, and we continue to buck. Each and every week, the whole idea is for us to mold to this book and not mold this book to us, and each week we buck. And we're still the same old buck and bronc that we were last week when we came to church because we're not changing, and we're not giving up. And we're not giving in. And each and every week, it's just a battle against the preacher of the Word of God. I've never enjoyed riding a bucking bronc, have you? I've never done it. I would never do it because their hoofs are big and when they come down, it hits you in the belly and you die. (laughs) I have ridden many horses though. And riding a broken horse is much better than one that's bucking. You see, each and every week, all the pastor desires for you is that you fall a little bit more in love with God and that you just change a little bit more to the likeness of His Son. See, you don't have to be a bucking bronc. You can be a broken horse. And you can submit yourself to the will of God. And you can experience His love like you've never, ever felt before. Guess where it's done? Here at these altars. It's done right here where the Word of God is preached. And you say, preacher, I just, I just fall short in this area. These altars are open.